Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. They say society is held together by bubblegum and duct tape, but it turns out it's held together by the electrical grid. And if you don't believe that, just look at any area after any sort of natural disaster where they lose power. After a hurricane, after a snowstorm. But before we get into bringing up all of Mike's bad memories, how are you doing? What are you drinking, Mike? Damn, shitting on Texas already? Well... You can keep shitting on me. I'm drinking some uh, Evan Williams for this uh, inflation we got going on. But besides that, I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? What are you drinking? How are you doing? The, I am doing great. I got the classic Rogue Dead Guy Ale because whoever said variety is the spice of life was probably right, but not in this case. Power lines, transmission, all the electrical grid stuff. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about how it works how it gets power from A to B, the dangers of it, the legislation of it, the regulation of it, and the future of it. Before we get too far, I want to talk about how power stations work. Yes, those magical power lines over your house, down your street, leading to your neighborhood, leading to God knows who where. Those are actually a very simple process. Imagine somewhere within, I don't know, say, arbitrary number, 30 miles of where you live, there's most likely a power facility that turns water into steam to turn a turbine. That turbine turns a magnet, which creates electricity, and then through usually just three prongs, and I do mean just three prongs, that electricity is sent out into the world. Now, this is usually very high current, and depending on how far away you live, it might be sent through a transformer to step it up. And the electricity sent out is AC current. For those who don't know, alternating current. Thank God for Tesla. And the reason why it's sent in AC is simply, if we have sent in DC, which is what pretty much every household uses, we would need a substation every few miles. AC can travel way further. But DC can't, and... AC is a little bit too powerful for most of our appliances. So, AC current is sent out through these wires. They go across towers, and those towers then go to substations. Substations is kind of like a circuit breaker in your home. It's kind of like a fuse in case it gets blown, it gets blown there. It's it's in case of emergency kind of place, and it also deviates energy, so multiple energy sources go there and spread out. It's like a hopper almost. And you might ask, well, why do we really need that? This is high, high voltage at a high rate. Usually like maybe three-phase electricity going to the this area. And also to stop this much electricity, you can't just turn it on and off like a light switch. You need to have special equipment to turn it on and off or else you have a thing called arcing. For those who don't know what arcing is, it's pretty much when electricity decides, fuck it, I don't need wires. I'm just going to go through the air. And that's what arcing is. So from the substation, it goes through more transformers, which is usually a step-down transformer, which turns it from AC to DC. And those are the power lines on wooden poles that we usually see. 
those electricities we can kind of use. Now, they're still usually high current. It usually gets changed once it gets to the household or into the ground. But that's kind of a quick, dumb, one-on-one process how it goes. They use water to create electricity. Electricity gets sent out, gets to like a routing area, rerouted to your homes, and it is turned down so you can actually use it. But there are lots of errors, issues, and problems with this. One, which we'll address, is it being open in the air. Two, well, it's up in the air, so things can hit it, things can touch it, sparks can happen. And three, the governments involved, along with the companies involved, aren't sometimes the cleanest, Nick. That's definitely for sure. I don't know if you really have to specify that the government is dirty, Mike, but glad you did. Oh, you know me. Anytime I can pick a fight with Uncle Sam, I'm going to. But, like I said, these power lines have lots of vulnerabilities. Nature, weather, humans, and time itself. And we're going to address on all of these. And Well, Mike, we're going to start with the classic trees. Trees. I could have guessed. (laughs) You know me so well. Trees are a natural energy of power lines because trees like to grow up. And trees also like to get rid of branches that aren't producing enough, doing enough photosynthesis. And then they just die and fall. Sometimes they just fall over because of wind, you know, a bunch of rain, wind, whatever. Something causes the whole tree to just fall over, which is fine for trees 99% of the time. You know, everyone's seen after a big storm, power lines down because all the trees in the neighborhood branch fell down or blew over or something happened that caused the something to hit a power line. I mean, just a similar when, you know, a driver who is under the influence or not paying attention runs into a power line they also are generally a lot of times made of wood or metal and going to fall over not talking about the big like transmission lines but your normal low voltage power lines i feel like everyone's seen one fallen over at some point in their life my favorite is always seeing them just hanging and not being supported at the ground at all like they just cut the trunk Oh, yeah. It's like, how the fuck does that happen? (laughs) That that one's always interesting. Um, Something before we get too far, the reason uh, I kind of forgot to mention, the reason why power lines, transmission lines usually have three lines is because they're triple phase or sorry, three phase instead of single phase. Um, Three phase is just better at giving out electricity. And the reason why they're as wide these these power lines as they are is simply as they use air as an insulator. So that way that they don't arc across each other. But when you have, a say, a tree branch, Nick, like you were talking about, touch, it connects and conducts both. So it short circuits it, which creates a spark, which creates fire, which creates a no-no, especially if it's near a transformer. And um, just to paint a quick image, for here in the United States, it is different elsewhere in the world, but very common throughout the world. You have a wind pole, you have usually, at least some of them, not all of them have it, but you have a metal cylinder, maybe maybe a meter in length, or sorry, height, meter in le- height, so maybe three feet in height, 
and it's round cylinder, and that's usually a transformer. That's fill. That's usually a step down transformer. Um, pretty much, it makes the electricity more usable. And then you see the three lines that are spread across. Well, that's your power lines. That's just your triple. That's your uh, three phase. Uh, if you see those with more lines, either some companies need more electricity, or sometimes they run other lines along with it, along with say telephone lines. But that's just a paint image of what they look like. Yeah, and while we're on the topic of downed power lines, I guess we should probably talk about what to do when you come across a downed power line. Through my story of what not to do when you come across a downed power line, I was on a wildfire outside of Orofino, Idaho, and we had already gotten in trouble for something completely beyond our control. And so we were like, we don't want to say anything over the radio. But we're putting out smokes, and then we walk across, like the fire's already out, we're kind of just doing, mopping everything up, cleaning it up. And we come out, and wouldn't you know it, there's a power line that's on the ground, and just sitting there. And we're both looking at each, me and the guy working with me, we're like, is this thing still on? Like, what, what are we supposed to do here? And then we just kind of walked away. So one, the smart thing to do is, like, if we had looked around, we probably could have seen that there was power lines that were heading towards the ground. And second, when you're escaping a power line, you're supposed to hop away. Because, and like, you can do a better explanation of why this is true. But if you walk with your feet separate, the the electricity runs out in, like, a circle, and you have, like, I'm making up the numbers, but like a 5 amp area, like a 10 amp area, and a 15. And if you have a foot in both, electricity will try to equalize. But if you hop and keep your feet together, your feet will always remain in the same part. So it's not going to transfer any electricity that way, is what I was taught afterwards. So it's it's pretty much just insulation and regulation. So best way I can describe it is depending on the scenario you should hop if you see a transformer down one of those big cylinders run because those transformers are usually filled with a liquid to keep it cool and that liquid can sometimes conduct electricity it's usually an insulator but some people have cut corners in the industry so if you're in a liquid and you have electricity don't be in electricity just run uh but the hopping is um Imagine electrical line going to the ground. It's the same as a stone hitting water. It ripples out. And imagine waves, you know, different peaks as the ripples go out. And electricity is always looking for the the path of least resistance. If I'm in a high resistance area, let's use the 15 amp NIC, and I want to go to a low resistance area, like a 10 amp area, I want to jump to that. And if I have to use your body as a connecting piece so I can take the path of least resistance, I'm going to use your body. But I have to say, for the most part, that's quite rare unless you're quite close. Literally just stay 15 feet to 7 meters away, which is like 21 feet, and just keep backing up and walking away because a big thing is if the current's still live depending on what kind of phase electricity it is 
it'll jump around like a like a like a garden hose jump around and that's when it's like oh are you going to touch some piece of the infrastructure which i might be standing on the best way example i can get for you is distance and um don't try to touch anything metal or conductive in the area and if it's that high electricity uh wood can be conductive so pretty much just uh stick to the earth and stick to cement well depending on the cement if it's got too much rebar then you might be in trouble but distance is your friend distance is definitely your friend the more you know and knowing is half the battle god i hate you sometimes <laughs> you know like a little gi joe reference i i i do but the enthusiasm you said it it is it didn't make me happy it felt like a robot chicken kind of episode i'm fine with that so we talked about getting burned uh we got sidetracked talking about trees and power lines and trees falling on power lines cause arcing and sparking which cause fires now if you're in town that's you know like in illinois where we're from big storms are usually accompanied by a lot of rain so wildfire from fires from storms generally aren't as big of an issue but i'm sure most people have heard about the labor day fires of I think that was 2020, and then the Paradise Fire in, I think, 19. All huge fires that were caused by power companies. Let's let's be a little clear. They weren't caused by the power companies. As much as I'm going to shit okay. on them, they didn't actually cause them. That were caused by... Their product. Their product. So what happened was large winds were forecasted. The power companies didn't turn the electricity off something happened where a tree or something caused the lines to fall to the earth which started a fire coupled with the large winds caused a huge fire so when that happens who's liable which is a great question that california answered for us we'll get into that later. <laughs> i'll give you a hint California really doesn't want to take blame for it itself, so... <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened. So, but it can happen anywhere, anytime, and there's a reason that it's important to maintain those power lines. Now, there's a couple of different ways to do that. One of the most common ones is just, I say dumping, that's not the right word, just applying herbicide beneath the power lines to kill anything that starts growing tall. Now, what do you do about your neighbor's trees like i grow I, I grow trees for a living for a private timber company we have a lot of land that borders power lines it's a definitely a safety thing but we can grow trees on our property and up near the neighbor's property but how do they keep those trees from getting into growing growing into their power lines well they put a giant chainsaw underneath the helicopter and just fly along the line Oh, it's one of my favorite things. I recommend anyone listening to look it up. By giant, I mean, remember the blade, but it looks like it has to be at least 12 feet in length. On on steel cable wires, hung by a, a helicopter, and they just go down the line. Like, if you, like, if that doesn't make you feel fucking American, nothing will. Yeah, it's pretty badass. And it's, I, I think they're probably like closer to like, 20 feet or more those are big helicopters that carry them so the scale might be a little fucked but 
they're pretty big. Um, and yeah, so I just fly up and down these power lines, keeping everything clear. Power companies also do a good amount of herbicide work to stop anything from growing up underneath them. Uh, and then what do they do in town? Well, they got to trim those trees in town just the same as our trees. So they'll go up to people's houses and some, well, sometimes they will. Sometimes they'll just start trimming the trees. But power companies have a, I don't know if the right's the right word. They have a legal obligation that supersedes your property rights. To be honest, it's almost a safety issue. Yeah. Because uh, we kind of skipped over it, but it can be a twig that happens to be three feet in length that can hop the current. And it just the right scenario and it will create a spark enough to start a forest fire. It's um, it's almost like you have legal right to your car, but yet somehow the government has legal right to say if your car is in good enough condition to drive the road. It's almost like that kind of scenario, which as much as it pains me, I think they're kind of in the right for this. Yeah, it's uh, we all want electricity but sometimes we don't want to do the stuff that allows it to happen. So they can come and on your property. Usually they try and give you notice, but they'll come and trim up the trees just to make sure that nothing falls on them. No branches or anything is going to fall off, like you said, perfectly aligned to start a fire or do whatever else it's going to do. I don't know if you've ever been without electricity, Nick. It sucks to be without electricity. <laughs> I... I think the longest we've gone without electricity is like a week. I'm I'm somewhere around there. I think a little bit less than seven days, but yeah, it's uh it's sometimes not really fun. Yeah. So yeah, one recommend, and like we said at the beginning of the podcast, society is held together by electricity. And I'm gonna expand on that real quick. We talked about natural disasters. I was talking about all the looting and the stealing. And everything that happens because of no law enforcement, I feel like, is preceded by a lack of electricity because you can't just, you're not just going to sit and watch Netflix all day. Well, you can't even arrest what you can't see. If there's no video cameras, no street lights, no, no electricity, it's kind of hard to see what people are even doing. Yeah. And if you look at what happens when, like, a whole country loses electricity, we just have to go to... Venezuela, look at how good socialism did over there. <laughs> socialism or authoritarianism? I can't remember which one it is. It's both at the same time. It always is. <laughs> they were out without electricity for a long time, and they start. They had to resort because they couldn't pump water through the through the water lines. So people were getting sewage water and then boiling it. So we don't just use electricity to play xbox and watch tv we also use it to pump water uphill we use it to have our stoplights go gasoline like pretty much everything hospitals fire departments it's it's probably the number one thing that's taken for granted that if we lost that all of our democracy and all the stuff that we value so much it'd be just gone Yes. And going back to trees a little bit, it doesn't just have to be branches. You have to imagine with every storm, sometimes the branches get pulled off, yes. But also lightning strikes. Lightning tends to strike the tallest things to find the 
once again the path of least resistance which sometimes cracks the trees the the wood to make a tree fall so it's a simple problem but you have to imagine the infrastructure of a country how many power lines there are to correctly identify where the problem is it usually takes a person to run up and down of where they think it might be to figure out where the problem is and that's that's a tall order to do especially you think about how big especially like the united states is of trees could be a branch could be twigs could be bunch of leaves that just happen to connect could be a squirrel which we'll talk in a bit in a later or it could be a lightning hitting a tree to knock it the entire tree down it's amazing how bal- teeter-totter balanced our electrical system is and yet it still doesn't fail every single day which absolutely amazes me in shoot i want to say like 2020 in the in southern oregon northern california we had a bad snow ice storm that caused a bunch of trees to fall over which knocked whole towns out of i mean small towns but still knocked whole towns out of power for like a month oh so not your entire state of texas got it not the entire state got it but and it, and that was only like a hundred year event which is not uncommon not common but not ridiculous but our, the moral of that story is our electrical grid is fragile and you can't, <laughs> don't take it for granted. Well, sticking with weather a little bit, I want to talk about other weather problems, like one that's happening right now. I assume we'll get back to fire in a second, but since it's happening in the news right now, hurricanes. Strong winds can knock over a power line, can have stuff float. Like, to be honest with you, it, probably all of us have seen someone release a birthday balloon full of helium and touch a power line gone boom yeah you're you're an asshole you just risked your entire neighborhood's power supply uh but with hurricanes it's interesting because now you have not only winds you have floods you have rain you have knocking stuff over it's uh god it's like a it's like a glass hammer nick that electricity runs through it's if you hit it too hard it's just gonna crack but somehow it keeps pounding away I mean, we just keep fixing it is what happens. The electrical grid, okay, the U.S. US citizens are like the older brother and nature is the younger brother. And the younger, the older brother has this really cool Lego he likes. We'll call it the U.S. electrical system. And the younger brother comes and throws it out a window. But we still have the directions, so we just put the Lego back together again and keep playing with it. Because you're never going to get rid of your younger brother. You just got to have to learn to live with it. And that's pretty much what we've done. Nick, I'm not going to lie, that sounds like pushing rope and pushing rope ain't fun. I mean, pretty much everything humanity has done is build. <laughs> Watch it destroy, rebuild. Again. Fair enough. Fair enough. But I want to go back. All right, to back to California for a little bit. Yes, the the infrastructure. Why? Uh, because I I'm going to shit on them. Continue. Florida, yes, is having its issues right now. It's the entire Lower East Coast has always had issues with hurricanes, and their power line structure. It's uh, yeah, we'll address we'll address that when we start getting to underground uh, power lines. But the 
fun thing about California. California has lots of forest fires. In case you're not familiar, Nick, I know, I know trees and fire you're not too familiar with some of these sometimes. But in 2021, Pacific Gas and Electric planned to bury 10,000 of its power lines underground simply because of wildfires. Well, they've been sort of trying to do it. It's a little hard. It's a little expensive to do, which we'll get into a little bit. And just for those wondering, to replace all of California's lines underground would be about $240 billion minimum to do. But there's this uh, great thing about California is uh, California likes to preach how it's environmental friendly. But it's really good at killing the environment, Nick. And so an example is this. The Pacific Corp will was charged with uh, not following the ministry that sorry, the migratory bird treaty and ended up killing a bunch of golden eagles. So much so that they were fined 10.5 million dollars in 2009. And uh, the Pacific Corps is not the only ones to do this scenario. For those who don't know, animals are great at finding the power lines. And California power companies tend not to follow regulations to prevent the animals from liking the power lines. So much so, Nick, I don't understand. I don't know how many golden eagles you have to kill to get a $10.5 million fine. But they found out. Yeah, so if well, I'm not going to address the wildfire issue here. Listen to our episode we did on wildfires. Uh, yeah, California is really good at killing pretty much everything. Nature, animals, people, uh, whatever. So the, yeah, all, all everything that they do, it seems that they're trying so hard to do the right thing. <laughs> no, no, no. And I disagree. They say they're doing the right thing. They don't do the right thing. <laughs> I really think they think they're trying to do. I think they think they're doing the right thing. <laughs> so is a little brother throwing but, out the Lego Millennial Falcon, but I guarantee you that's not the right fucking thing. I'm, I'm not defending. <laughs> okay, I'm okay. Saying. It sounded like you're defending <laughs> think, them. I'm just saying. I think in their mind they think they're doing the right thing. Oh, and Sandy's a great delusion. So, you talked about how PG&E hasn't upgraded their power lines. And I kind of followed this feud back because the state of California and PG&E has a pretty interesting relationship. They go back and forth. I'm not sure what the right term is for legally fucking with each other, but that's what they're doing. Wait, are they against each other or for each other? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, so it's a toxic relationship. Got it. Yeah. It's uh, they simultaneously are looking out for each other while also trying to destroy the other one. Oh, so it's like a little brother, big brother thing. It's like no one can pick on him besides me. Yeah, exactly. So PG&E started out as a little bit smaller company and continued to gra grab up a bunch of different companies. So then it became this kind of weird state controlled, but not state controlled so the states tasked PG&E with upgrading all their stuff to make it not as dangerous for fires and, and all this stuff. Well, the state also put a limit on how much they can charge 
and PG&E said, well, we can't upgrade all this at this, like, we can't continue to sell electricity at this low cost that you're making us sell it for and upgrade everything at the rate you want it to be. So they didn't because they didn't have enough money, but they also had money, not as much as they needed, but it wasn't like they were broke and still didn't upgrade anything. So you could kind of argue that if they had more, they wouldn't have done it. But you could also argue if they had more, they would have done it. Either way, they didn't have enough money to do what they were supposed to. And they didn't do what they were supposed to. They kept pushing it off. And they said that was because they didn't have enough money because the state makes them charge for a certain amount. It's a, it's a mess. And PG&E got blamed for the wildfire they had to pay, they went bankrupt, they had to pay millions because they were considered at fault. And we all know courts in California is just another arm of the legislative body. So is it bad when you said the courts of California and I just thought of Christian uh, ba- uh, Nolan's Batman with Bane? Circuit. Oh, yeah. With Scarecrow at the, with the, <laughs> being judge, jury, and executioner. So that's pretty much what it's like, except it's Gavin Newsom. Ah, got it. God, God Nick, we're so we, even scarier. We, we fucking just took off the gloves on this episode. Let's, I love it. So, yeah, and so no one's completely innocent, but no one's completely guilty because I think the state made the conditions for this to happen perfect. PG&E let it happen. I don't really know who. He, I mean, I know who got charged. It was PG&E. The state didn't get charged. But that's that's another debate for another time. But uh, it kind of highlights the weird relationship that government and utility companies have because they're in this gray area where they are kind of like public. Like we legislate them, but they're also kind of private and they're monopolies because if you don't like your power company... You can't just get another power company. Yes, I think you hit the nail on the head with the gray area. This is so, so complex. And I assume eventually we'll do a public utilities episode. But this this unholy union, I don't think really benefits the everyday user. I, I It seems like everyone's getting the short end of the stick. Both the user, the government, and the person supplying electricity because no one gets full say it's like a unhappy compromise that no one compromised for and normally compromises where everyone is unhappy is a good compromise but i don't know if this is one of them yeah i don't i don't think this is one that's uh because i think the compromise is supposed to be from the state or feds and the power company and the citizens are supposed to benefit. I don't think the citizens are supposed to compromise. Or pay and for entire to, new structures being built after fires, hurricanes, and stuff like that. You know. And to continue to highlight some of the issues with the way that California runs their electrical grid. So California has a set price of what they can charge for electricity for people in California, which means 
which means that they can buy so much electricity, but when things get like into above average demand, they have to outsource all electricity. And so they normally go to like the Bonneville Dam in Oregon or in Nevada, one of their neighbors to get electricity that's transferred over to California. Well, sometimes, and I'm not saying those specific ones I named, but a lot of times these companies will charge more because they want last minute unscheduled stuff. So normally you get charged more when you purchase like that, but they can only pay so much. So a lot of times they just can't pay, which is why California has rolling blackouts. To kind of explain this from an engineer's perspective, um, so pretty much what a power plant does is it produces a specific amount of electricity constantly. So say, say between me and Nick, we use 10 kilowatts. So no matter what, the power plant produces 10 kilowatts, night and day. Even if we, even if there's, uh, even if we drop below that, no matter what, 10, 10 kilowatts. Well, the companies look at a statistics of like, oh, okay, so after Nick and Mike come home at, you know, 6, 7 p.m., there's an increase in electricity because they're using electricity at home. So we'll run our power plants to produce more electricity during these hours. So we'll put more coal into the plant so it produces more electricity to do so to cover, you know, the extra surcharge, the extra surge of energy. Well, when you have another entire state say, hey, we need you to increase your surge, your surge to supply our electricity, that's a lot of coal being burnt. That's a lot of energy to be made. And it is expensive to do because, one, you're now losing efficiency because I, power plants are precisely made to be the most efficient systems they can be. The thermodynamics that go into a power plant is ridiculous, and it's absolutely amazing. But to say, hey, we need to double what your power plant is producing, it's like, no, no, no. No, no, no. You you gave us 20 minutes. You know how hard it is to get that much water pumped in, to get that heat up, to get that much turbine going? That's That's all extremely hard work to do. And yeah, that Nick said it correctly. That's why there's so many California blackouts. If you don't give a heads up on something that's very hard to do, guess what? That thing that's really hard to do is not going to get done. Here's a another kind of story to help explain it. So me and my wife were in Portland. Me at and my wife. Comedy show. And we finished the show and it was like 11 at night. And we're gonna walk. We're gonna, you know, get an Uber back to our hotel because we live like four hours away, and we're not driving back at eleven at night. And so we look up Uber, and guess what? Surge pricing. Mm-hmm. So it's like ninety dollars to go one mile. Now we're gonna get an Uber because, well, we all know how safe Portland is. And I was like, oh, we're just gonna walk one mile. Like fuck it. Like I'm not paying a hundred dollars to go one mile. Like. <laughs> be back there in seven minutes if I wanted to. So it was snowing. It was like the middle of winter. And so we decided to walk because we weren't willing to pay that extra. Well, in this story, us walking is California just deciding to shut off all electricity. And surge pricing is because it's got super hot, so everyone wants air conditioning. And in this story, 
everyone loses. Well, mostly just Californians. So, no, it, it, yeah, it's, you make uh, you make your bed. Don't be afraid to lie in it. I guess is the moral of that story. It's uh, stupid gets what stupid does. And then the question is, I mean, you can go go and act. I just is, and this is kind of like we talked about the military industrial complex. How we talked about creating like a kind of DARPA, like a public private relationship. And this is why I just don't think those work because it hasn't worked for the utilities companies. Now it, you can't just have a private utility company because it just doesn't work with, with competition. You're not going to have two separate set of lines that go to your house and you pay for the cheapest competitor. I mean, maybe in some world, I, I don't understand. That just doesn't seem realistic to me. Competition is good. Be, that's that's yeah. what I have to say about that. Yeah, but how, I mean, how do you do that with utilities? Ooh, I actually will get to that later in the podcast. Since we're talking about how stupid is, stupid does, I want to talk about squirrels, Nick, and how much I fucking hate and love squirrels at the exact same time. So, besides weather and nature, I guess you'd classify it as nature, uh, animals tend to be runners up for fucking over our power system. And, uh, well, squirrels and birds, they lead the charge. Squirrels cause so much power outages that there's a website called Cyber Squirrel that tracks power outages. And Do you remember when that happened in our high school? Oh, yeah. I, dude, I remember people put out squirrel beanie babies for the squirrel, like a, like a homage to that squirrel sacrificing its life for us. <laughs> He sacrificed his life so we could leave school early. He's not the hero we need. He's the <laughs> hero we deserve. <laughs> well, another issue with this uh, union between government and public utilities is the government have regulations on utilities, on how they're designed, which is sometimes good, sometimes bad. It also makes public utilities adapt to the current environment that's where squirrels come in companies that have squirrels so all 50 states i think have squirrels have to design power lines to protect them against nature and i did not know this thing existed until i started researching this but there are things called guano shields which for example protect against bird poop they are bird poop shields because Pigeons poop so much that they sometimes short-circuit the power lines. And, as an added bonus, they design it to also be a squirrel deterrent so squirrels don't commit suicide on the power system. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing how much human flesh, or not human flesh, how much organic flesh can conduct electricity. And if you get a squirrel touching A and touching B, ugh. Oh well, Nick, we've both eaten squirrel. It's not that good. Can confirm, but people in the South really like it, so maybe there's something we're just not doing right. Yeah, touche, touche. But it also depends on where you are in the world. So for America, it's squirrels and birds. For some uh, Southeast Asian countries, it's monkeys. Monkeys tend to commit suicide on power lines by accident. I really thought you were going to say for Southeast Asian countries, it's Mongolians. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. 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 
Uh, but it is, it's weird. Cause like, uh, if you look at South America, there's sometimes jaguars that will climb up and <laughs> just no longer exist. And, uh, who's, who's ever, uh, smelt burnt hair. It's not a great smell. So I can't imagine how a <laughs> jaguar getting <laughs> thousands of voltage running through it at high amperage is going to smell like, uh, and cats are assholes. They're always going to be assholes. Is the moral of that story? There's a reason they need line lives. <laughs> well, not when you touch the power lines. It goes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, real fast. Uh, but uh, because power lines are such a large part of a country's structure, they are heavily influenced by the government. So much so that now, because power lines, for those who don't know, give off UV light, and a lot of animals can see UV light, it changes their migration structure. So reindeer might not go underneath the power line simply because they can see what the power line looks like. So their entire herd migration changes. So now there are regulations, and these power companies have to work with uh, conservative uh, conservation. Con what, what? conservation you had it that word animal conservations to uh to design where their power lines are going simply because the uv light changes for creature to creature so some are more scared of it some are more drawn to it so that's how which is crazy because i don't know how many fucking emails i've gotten about how it's from the audubon society about how it's national bird week because of all the, mig the migrating birds this time of year, it's like we need to do our best to shut down all of the lights outside. It's like, cool, our power lines are glowing. <laughs> <laughs> no, what the fuck am I even doing here? Yeah, bir birds are pretty fucking stupid, and I, I couldn't find any research to benefit this, but I'm wondering why, uh, birds run into cities as much compared to as in the woods uh one it might be because simply we can't identify all the dead birds in the woods because of them running in the trees but i'm wondering if the electromagnetic field produced by power lines is throwing off their navigation system but i couldn't find any evidence for this it's just food for thought two things i'll say about that is i definitely see more dead birds in the city i spend a lot of time in the woods the other thing is dead bodies don't last very long in the woods so true they tend to last longer in the city because no one's eating them well we also did an episode on how skyscrapers are the number one killer of birds besides cats so uh birds birds aren't the smartest creatures but these are all animals that might be negatively affected by power lines that are our entire country is crisscrossed from i highly encourage everyone to look up a map of the power lines and the power grid of the United States, it is covered. But depending on the species, power lines might actually help. So a study called Roads, Railways, and Power Lines, Are They Crucial for Bees in Urban Woodlands, has some interesting results. Now, granted, this study was conducted in Poland, but they found certain species, mainly focused on bees, hence the name, benefited from linear man-made structures, so roads, railways, and power lines. 
So much so, there was, I think, if I remember the study correctly, it was like a 39% increase. So these small insects benefit from power lines. So if we want to bring the bee population, maybe we keep all the power lines as they are. That is very interesting to me on how birds and squirrels are committing suicide on power lines, but bees have no issue on it. You would think with the different brain sizes, one would be a little more difficult than the other, but apparently not. Well, this is the problem with bees is they can't be killed by running into glass. They don't go fast enough. (laughs) I don't know how many bees that try to get into my work truck or get in and can't get out because they just keep flying into the glass they'll back up and fly into the glass it's just they don't, can't go fast enough to kill themselves i think that's the big <laughs> the big difference is size not size of brain just how hard it is to damage your body <laughs> well it, they are small in length so they're hard to short circuit the power lines that too kind of tying it all together uh the technology used now to check the pole lines to check to see if tree branches are being cleared is very interesting technology and i don't know if you came across this nick i did not so the technology used in the power line industry is actually really cool um they have one uavs so they have aerial vision but they also have a thing called mobile laser scanning mls and with MLS, they use algorithms by, from machines to make and identify the electrical poles, where the lines are running for, and when they'll need maintenance for clearing. So, like we mentioned in the beginning with giant chainsaws on helicopters, well, that's not every place in the United States. Majority places in the United States are people on cherry pickers with chainsaws just cutting branches. But this allows people to identify problems that might erode and to take care of them before they actually become a problem for those wondering and especially in the uk because i saw i don't know if i came across this unique but researching it was annoying it's electrical towers in the united states but they're sometimes called pylons in the eu and it's just fucking annoying towers is way better name than pylons to me, pylons implies something to do with maritime, like boats. Yeah. Like Booms yeah. or like the stuff that's built into the bays with the light. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems like a ocean word to me. Agreed. Agreed. Well, they are they are an Look, island, the UK. Europeans are stupid, so... <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, they're not going to have any powers soon. So. <laughs> that's... <laughs> yeah and that's that's what happens when uh yeah you let politicians take care of everything so <laughs> nick i feel like i'm back to back with you on top of a mountain going bring it on motherfuckers <laughs> like we got brass knuckles on like we're ready to go against the world oh yeah we just pissed off every single person in the world uh uh don't don't I mean, <laughs> and by that i mean europeans and people who want stronger federal government so also China. So, uh, d- well, don't worry. I'll get to China in a bit. Uh, all right. Well, so you have some technology that's kind of advanced, to, to be honest with you, of trying to figure out how to fix the lines. Because not only do you have the tree branches, but Nick, in case you didn't know, because I, I know you're not really familiar with wood, but wood rots. And those telephone, and uh, those 
what we call sometimes telephone poles, but those power poles are usually made of wood. Expensive wood too. Yeah. Well, you you kind of you might like this. Do you know what the four different type of techniques are for identifying if a pole's good or not? Like when it's a tree. Uh no, when it's still in the ground. Because for those who don't know, they are constantly updating the infrastructure, which are power lines. In case you don't know, time wins and things wear out, things get bad, things rot, things get hit, things get dented. They need a replacement. They, it, it's a con, constant maintenance. Well, a big part of the electrical lines, the power system, the power grid are those poles that hold the wires up. And they have four different techniques that I could came across that are used to identify if the pole is still good. Number one, which might be my favorite, hit it with a hammer. I knew that was going to be it before you said anything. If it sounds like it's it's solid wood, yeah. If it sounds like solid wood, it's good. If it doesn't, it's not good. The second being the bore test where they drill and take a sample of the wood to see if it's still good. The third being the drill test where they drill into the ground to check to see if the foundation is good, if rot or insects have started. And the fourth, they use x-ray or ultrasound to check for decay. Now, I've been around the block a few times, been around this earth a few times. I've never seen that ever used ever in the world. I've never even heard about that until recently. Well, I mean, there's a there's a lot of different ways to look for, to find out if trees are still growing or infested with bark beetles. And you can use x-ray, it's just super expensive and no one does it unless you're doing research i mean that could be one of those situations true but unfortunately there are a lot of poles and not a lot of people to man the poles and no not like a strip club just a lot of poles go unchecked due to being undermanned it i i wish i had the statistics for it but i would love to know how many power line poles there are for every human in the united states because it's they're, they're undermanned to check every pole for crack. And if there's any rot, any crack, any wearing, high winds will find it quite quickly, and that's how they go down. And you have to imagine different materials, different locations have different expiration dates. So not only do you have the, the copper lines running high electricity, not only do you have the conductor, not only do you have the insulation to protect from the wires being exposed to the public. You also have the wood. You also have the foundation. You have all these different things that expire at different times, and you have to constantly keep doing that. And this is where it's kind of weird again. We need public utilities for society. That's kind of where the government steps in. But it's all privatized, and they're undermanned, underpaid, because it's just it's just a weird structure, Nick. I that's way I can describe it. Yeah, it's uh, like you said, I think earlier, I think the best is everyone's compromising and no one's winning. Like it doesn't make sense for it to be a private company because there's no way to create competition. Oh, the amount of money needed to create an infrastructure to power multiple homes is ridiculous. And they have so many problems, squirrels, birds, hurricanes, fires, weather. 
trees. And those are natural problems. We haven't even talked about the problems that humans create on purpose. No, we haven't. And I don't know if we want to get into that before we get into the underground. Sure. Let's let's talk about sabotage. Humans are pieces of shit. (laughs) I'll start off that way. And we like to make it hard for other people to live, whether that furthers our political agenda, our political agenda, or whatever it is. The New York Times reported that, I mean, they said predominantly Russia, but I'm sure it's every other country on the planet, is hacking into our power grid once every four days. Now, what they do in there is up to them. They got in there. There's been a couple big cyber attacks of people, other countries hacking other countries' power grids. The biggest would probably have to be Russia fucking up with Ukraine's power grid. Probably the the one on the news. Uh, or China and the United States. Or China and the United States. Well, that's easy because they built all of our components. So it lets them get in super easy because everything we use they built. Uh, and then, of course, we have people just messing up the power grid. The old-fashioned way. Just taking a rifle and just start shooting at a bunch of transformers. Transformers. Wait, oh. I thought I thought this was going to be a drunk driving kind of turn. Oh, I, didn't too. Think, <laughs> I wasn't expecting shooting transformers. Did you hear about that? No. Oh my gosh. Okay. So in 2013, someone unidentified... Just took a 30 caliber rifle and just laid into a California substation that took all the power away from Silicon Valley. (laughs) The most significant incident of domestic terrorism involving the grid that's ever occurred, which is kind of like it's the it's the biggest, super, very specific act of terrorism that's ever been done. Like (laughs) it's it was some drunk, poor guy just bored shooting transformers and being a dick but we don't really know who it was i mean as far as i've read (laughs) not naming names they think it was a disgruntled pg&e employer um but not sure and uh they cut the phone line (laughs) that came from the substation so they couldn't call for help and they fired over a hundred rounds into 17 different transformers wait is this um is this the biggest terrorist attack we've never heard of? It, uh, that's like literally a name given to it. Uh, I don't know if I've seen it called that, but I wouldn't be surprised. Is it? Is it multiple people doing this, not just one person? They think so, but we don't know. I think I think I've heard of this. It's uh, like it like they have like a flashlight giving a signal, and they shot a bunch of. Transformers pouring out liquid, causing tons of money damage and stuff like that. Well, that's what, yeah, yeah, so probably the same thing. I've, I, it's very funny. I just heard about this. I, I don't know any of the details. Well, I don't think the government knows any of the details either. So no, that's, that's, that's probably, fair enough. I mean, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but no one's releasing the details. It's just, but the thing is, I don't understand that. Like, if it was on purpose, it's like you're not hurting just the people that hurt you well i think You're... it's kind of covered up because it highlights how vulnerable our whole electrical grid is oh uh, yeah 
a person or a group of person can take out the electrical grid for one of the most populated areas in the United States. Oh yeah, it from, and get away with it from an engineering standpoint. Our it's every I've never seen a electrical grid in the entire world, any structure, any design that's not super vulnerable. Well, it's crazy to me is we talk about how oh we're political you know our polit- our political rivals like Russia and China are trying to do all this stuff to tear our, you know us apart. And make us hate each other. All you got to do is shut off the power. We will tear <laughs> ourselves apart. That's Where's my Netflix? You don't need to do, you know, create all these fake social media bot accounts. All you got to do is just turn off the fucking power. No, no, com- completely agree. Uh, completely agree. I uh, see this entire conversation. I thought we were going to go with drunk driving because I saw a large statistic of drunk drivers running into power line bulls. Oh, yeah. So I don't know if it's just where I live. So I live in Oregon, and I'm convinced marijuana. I've I've never... All right, let me start over. I've never lived in a place where more people drive into power lines or buildings in the middle of the day than Oregon. (laughs) It's insane. (laughs) <laughs> you the got me beat. i thought you're gonna say nighttime i'm like night like indiana right now has currently got a lot of tweakers running into poles but never in the middle of the day and the only thing i can think of is it's the only state i lived in that's legalized marijuana correlation isn't causation but i mean <laughs> come on Co- cocaine's one hell of a drug <laughs> so like here's the best example so my <laughs> these guys who work with my wife were working serving on the street outside a pot shop this guy pulled into the pot shop his hood his fucking car was smoking and uh, so he pops the hood let the radiator cool off goes inside comes back out and starts driving the dude's hood is still up oh, <laughs> he just no. starts fucking driving away oh my god but i've lived here for five years six years Four buildings have been hit. Uh, a fence, someone went over a curb over a fence, another fence, two power poles in a town of like 30,000 people. That seems a little bit excessive. And it's and it's not like something that makes sense. Both three of the buildings that were hit were the, the vehicles all had to do a, a hundred, like a 90 degree turn in like on the highway, and it goes through town, so it's like a 25 through 45, depending where you're at, do a 90-degree turn to hit these buildings. So the direction of travel is perpendicular to all these buildings, so they had to just fucking turn, and none of these were near a turn. It's not like they missed a turn or turned early. Like, they just had to be driving and then just turn 90 degrees and run into these buildings. Like, that's what's so frustrating, is that it doesn't make any sense. Nick, I gotta I gotta ask. Is this Men in Black episode where they just have squirrels inside of humans driving the car? Probably. So besides actual terrorists, drunk people. Yeah, it's like, people. I, I don't understand. It's like, if you're drunk, I'll be honest, Nick. I, I've never been that drunk where I wanted to aim towards an object. 
whether it be like in a building or walking around on the street, I've never gone towards a in a, a inanimate object or a stationary object and hit it. Like I don't understand the brain thought process for that. Of like, oh, there's a tree that was man-made and put in the ground. I'm going to go for that. Yeah, I don't know if it's if it's that or just completely fucking out of it, but whatever it is, it's it's good stuff. Well, with all these problems, one may argue, why not just put it underneath the ground? Which I would like to squish to. For it has some interesting pros and interesting cons. To start off with, the first underground cable line, which for electricity, was in placed in 1890 by Vincent de Ferretini. Currently, depending on where you are in the world, Europe is a big one. They have lots of underground power lines, some of the biggest ones being France and Germany. But for the most part, across the entire world, underground lines are dug and buried three to five feet underneath the earth minimum, more depending on where you live. And one might argue, why aren't there power lines America in America put underneath the ground? Well, there are. It just depends on where you live. The older you, older location you live, the higher chance they're above ground. The newer locations tend to be below ground. And there are some issues with underground. The first, the biggest one, is cost. It's usually six to ten times minimum more expensive than overhead lines. Overhead lines being the lines that we have currently above ground, over your head, hence the name overhead. The main reason why they're so expensive is simply digging. In order to put lines underground, you have to dig up the earth. Again, a process called trenching. And for those who've never dug before in their lives, it's hard to move a lot of dirt constantly, day in and day out. It gets really expensive really fast. But you do have the benefit of the underground protecting you against drunk humans running into poles, animals committing suicide on your lines, the weather, trees, but repairs will be more expensive. Everything eventually breaks, whether it be through time, whether it be through an earthquake, crack, just some idiot with a cherry bomb blowing up uh, throwing it into a sewer in the wrong line and destroying the electricity, it will eventually break. But it'll be way more expensive because you have to dig up, remove the foundation, and expose it all to do so. But for right now, I want to talk about the upsides. The upsides to the ground is, besides being protected, it would raise the housing market of the entire country. On average, about 7% of a house is decreased if they have power lines going through it or you know in front of it etc etc if power lines are exposed the house decreases seven percent it would also create less noise which you may be thinking to yourself power lines don't make noise well depends on where you are if you're near a tower they make hella noise if you're just near poles they don't make as much of noise towers being those metal structures that we see in movies and films, or if you're like me, driving in the country, you see them. Nick, I assume you see them. And fun fact, a fun thing to do is take a fluorescent bulb, stand in the back of your pickup truck underneath one of those, and the fluorescent tube will glow in your hand like a lightsaber, and you can have lightsabers 
battles with your friends. Just uh, not saying I ever did that, but uh, just saying in general. Seems super safe. Oh, completely. The less noise is important when you're looking at places in the middle of nowhere with towers near them or a lot of power lines crossing each other like in major urban areas. Less noise tends to be a good thing, Nick. I don't know about you, but I would like to not hear a buzzing electrical sound at midnight when I'm trying to sleep. Another benefit is the amount of money spent on vegetation management. Vegetation management. So like Nick said, you have to spray herbicides to remove the plants or helicopters to remove tree branches in large areas or have people hooked up in helicopters to fix power lines. Yes, that is a thing. That is a job. It is a very, very unique job, which would be God to, I, I, I hope, what, what's the Dirty Jobs guy, Mike Rowe? Mm-hmm. The, I hope he did an episode on that because I, I would have to watch that. But they have very interesting jobs. But the amount of money saved on doing this is significant because, well, you can let the vegetation grow over it. It doesn't really fucking matter. As long as trees don't grow over it because trees still affect underground simply because of roots. No longer is a branch connecting the, and short-circuiting it or a tree falling on it and breaking it. Now you just have to worry about roots, which in my opinion... To give is, you uh, an example... Or put a put a monetary phase on it to do just a site prep, which is probably what they're doing, killing everything under the power lines. It probably costs about seventy three to a hundred dollars an acre, depending on the price of chemical and when what they use by air. Then probably a hundred to two hundred dollars an acre per per ground, depending on where they're at. When you think about all the grant, and that doesn't include the cost of the trimming with the helicopter, which is probably even more expensive. Or the insurance of the guy climbing into the helicopter to run it. And then think about how much ground that's taken up by power lines that they need to manage for. I mean, that's a huge cost. That it doesn't just happen every year. They probably have to treat every, if they want to get, carried away you could probably do it like what every eight years depending where you live maybe later if you know if you're in the desert or, or drier area to like three years if you live somewhere with with fast growing brush so michigan or arizona it'd be very different yes well that being said with those benefits there's um there's still negatives the mole people well crap people but close no so. uh the main things being the materials needed so like i mentioned in the beginning episode the reason why those three lines on their power lines are separate is because well they want to are together they want to connect to each other positive wants to go to negative negative wants to go to positive and the air acts as an insulator well if you have it underground you need to use a different material to act as an insulator instead of air, which is new material, which is getting kind of expensive. The second major one is heat. The heat put off by power lines is high. I don't understand why or how birds are able to stand on power lines besides recharging because we all know birds aren't real. That's a joke. Please, for the love of God, don't take that out of context. 
There's a bunch of uh, flat earthers who are just like, he's right. Oh, God, I hate flat earthers. Those power lines generate heat, a lot of heat. And if you put them underneath the ground where you don't have air, cold air, the wind blowing, you need to somehow dissipate the heat. And one of the ways that are being used currently in the world is oil. And it's flowing oil to keep the power lines cool. Well, what happens if you have a break somewhere in the line in the middle of nowhere? Now you all of a sudden have an oil leak. Now, this isn't the crude oil we are all thinking about. This is all processed oil for specifically designed for this. So we could probably make it environmentally friendly or finding a friendly environmental coolant. But it's still a leakage, and if it gets into the ground, it's still not the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, I mean, it didn't sound good. None of the whole underground. You're not really selling it, Mike, I guess is what I'm starting to say. I mean, besides above ground is ugly. That's pretty much the main selling point. Above ground is ugly, and it has a higher chance of breaking. Underground is less ugly, lower chance of breaking, but if it does break, it's more expensive. But it doesn't have to be more expensive. So this is a little tidbit of information, which I have yet to see implemented anywhere in the world. So there's a thing called horizontal drilling. And horizontal drilling is pretty much, well, if I wanted to drill underneath a street, underneath a lake, I can do so. Instead of trenching, which is literally digging a trench, a ditch, to put the line in, I'm very surprised there's yet to be a system where you could drill and use horizontal drilling to implement segments in long distance. It would make it way cheaper, way quicker, way faster. Um, the only the only major concern is the the coolant. Well, what happens if we just run it into independent lines? Instead of being... Uh, Nick, if you had to make an educated guess... What would say the distance is from the furthest line of a power line from horizontally from one side to the other? There's a normal pole line with the wood with the three lines. What 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 if you're looking at it straight ahead? I I'm so confused right now. Alright. You have three lines, yes? Yes. They're all parallel, yes? Uh-huh. Yeah. From the from what's the shortest segment across them? From one line to the other line. From one line to the furthest line. What's the distance between them? I don't know, like five feet? All right, let's say five feet. Well, I don't understand why we don't use horizontal drilling and just drill three separate lines about five feet apart. I imagine the ground has to be equal, if not the same insulation as air. I don't know the conductivity between the two off the top of my head. but I I feel like the ground's more conductive than air. You're you're probably you're probably right, but it's a lot more it's a lot more denser is not a right the right word, but it's denser than air, so it should be more conductive. You have more material to possibly transfer. Um, I know I I get that, but it it seems like if we just separate them a little bit, we won't need to cool with oil. Well, that sounds like a win-win. I mean, underneath the ground with horizontal drilling, we could probably if we get the process you know, good enough and streamlined enough to make it at least cost competitive with uh, current structures and, well, we would have a lot less problems. 
But either way, we need to figure this out and figure this out soon. Because, well, some countries are building super grids. I'm not going to name any names, but... India and China. <clears throat> For those who don't know, India and China are building super grids. They are expanding. They are growing countries. They are, well, second world nations trying to become first world nations. They are not doing it the best way, but they are moving forward. One of my favorite things, which I've shown Nick uh, earlier in the week, was India's power line structure in major cities, especially like Delhi, where it looks like a rat nest because everyone just hooked up their wires into the power station and just dragged their own wires to wherever they want. Sweet. Yeah, it's um, it's very interesting. Well, it's also very interesting because China's built major- a, a lot of cities, a lot of multi-million housing cities with no one to host them. But they still have the power line and infrastructure to do so. So it, I don't know if they're actually running power to those cities. I I have the China grid system is very unique because they are using an old technology in the 21st century, which doesn't seem to be working too well for them. I feel like there's a joke there somewhere. Oh, yeah, somewhere. But Nick, you know me. I love technology. I'm an optimist for the future half the time there's another option between above ground and underground do you want to take a guess that's not cost is it different rodents that are fucking everything up no i'm talking about a different way to distribute energy that's not going underneath the ground or wires running through the sky is it batteries is it more localized generators no it's wireless energy, Nick. Wireless towers transmitting energy, which is becoming... Close. Seems like a death trap for birds. <laughs> Wait until I get their safety measures. <laughs> All right. A little tidbit of history. Tesla did this, I believe, in like, ooh, 1890, 1908, somewhere around there. Wireless energy. He transmitted to an entire town in the middle of nowhere. I think it was like Nebraska or Kansas. Can't remember. Well, ended up giving too much electricity and blew out the town. Didn't blow up the town. Just blew up the circuits of the town. Well, anyhow, the technology is there. And we've made a lot of advancements since then. And a company in New Zealand is trying to bring back the old Tesla idea. This company, called Emrod, is using focus beams. Specifically, they're using microwaves to shoot directed energy to different towers to jump line it to send power wirelessly throughout hard to reach country now granted this isn't still in the prototype phase and nick you know how they prevent the birds from running into these high power microwave energy sources Something to do with bright lights or lasers? I have no idea. <laughs> yep, lasers. They have laser sensors that turn off when they detect something in the between the beams, like off the ground. So they detect birds. So they turn off these. <laughs> these Your electricity beams. just stops whenever a bird flies past. 
No, I so from what I can understand is they have a transmission tower and they send it through relay towers and then it goes to its final destination, which is a collective tower, which then turns it back into normal electricity we know of. So if I had a guess, they have either some supercapacitors, some batteries there just to have a constant current and also a milli like uh, the distance because these aren't large towers, but yet they're still producing the same amount of electricity. These are maybe, from the pictures, I had to guess five by five square panels collecting and relaying these this this energy. So a I don't know, one second of a bird flying through, I imagine is not enough to interrupt the power source of it. Which... I imagine it's enough to try that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was fucking thinking. I'm like, can we just throw some turkeys through it? Because I'm feeling a little hungry. Uh, the microwave you, of the future. It's uh, it's to me pretty fucking funny, but it's at the same time very cool because they took the Tesla concept of a centralized location producing wireless electricity throughout for the entire town to specific panels sending wireless electricity to the same substations that would eventually go to our houses. And from what I can tell from their prototype, it was quite successful, and it looks like New Zealand might be pushing forward with it yeah it's pretty sweet i'd love to see it like that's that's the easiest way right we just don't have power lines and we just have power poles that push invisible electricity through the air i mean it'd be very hard for a squirrel to commit suicide but and also very hard don't for a brain. count squirrels out just yet i'm sure they'll be able to not handle their mental health issues in another way all right, touche, touche, touche. But I also would be curious on how that affects humans long term. Because currently, there is no known correlation between cancer and power lines. As much as people want to uh, much make well, that claim. Well, it's not power lines, Mike. It's 5G. Okay? That, all right, all, all the same. It's uh, There's no correlation to it. So it's very, very interesting if those micro because microwaves does cause cancer, and if it's directly hitting towards you, I don't know if there's any radiant uh, effect of it. But I think as long as you let your microwave go through its like whole beep cycle, you can't get it doesn't affect you. But I think if you like open it early while it's still working, it like dissipates, but there's it's not good. Well, that has to do with the Faraday cage. Um, but yeah, from what I, I can... Don't, I don't know that much about microwaves, honestly. Uh, from what I can tell with MROD is their plan is not to implement it in high urban areas, but to implement it in the middle of nowhere where it's expensive to run new wire after the wire wears down and stuff like that. So in the middle of nowhere, Oregon, Nick, instead of having multiple towers running cable you just have a few towers and you only have to do is replace the towers instead of replacing the towers and the cable so that way you don't have the cables running through all the branches and you have to worry about you know the fire breaks for those who don't know fire breaks are here in the united states to well if a fire happens the fire can't cross or in many cases is used a lot for power lines to run down sure i'm thinking about everything that you just said i felt like it encompassed a lot it, it is true, but I also want to touch while you're thinking and add more information to your brain. 
something that I see the future being for the electrical grid is more self-sufficient homes. Um, I believe 13% of Americans have solar panels on their home and around 39% have considered it. I can see homes in the future, whether it be the roofing tiles or et cetera, et cetera, having solar panels, having their own grid system. So they're not completely reliant on the grid. So they can be for, say, let's just say 12 hours completely off electricity. So if a power line goes down, completely off electricity. I can see that being the future very quickly. That's what I see the United States hopefully going towards of a more crutch for the power system rather than self-reliance. Yeah, it's that fun part of the U.S. where the far left wants to ease the global warming stuff so they get solar panels in the far right. And not, I mean... This is an exaggeration. A lot of people have solar panels, but the far right doesn't want to rely on the government to get energy, so they have solar panels. It's just a fun little intersection of society. <laughs> Where no one trusts the government. Huh. It's weird how we have more similarities than we do differences. But that's where I, I see. I see, because what, we have now the Tesla wall batteries for people to implant to their homes. And like I said, with power plants, they're consisting consistently producing an extraordinary amount of power even if it's not all being used simply because it's hard to turn up the power turn down the power that's why california gets charged so much power if they ask for it so if you have excess power charge up your batteries if you have excess power as an individual as a home you can charge that back to the electrical power facilities so you can make some money this it, it seems like a very simple and genius way from a person who consistently loses power because I live in the middle of fucking nowhere small town. It would be so great to have consistent electricity. That'd be that'd be fucking fantastic. But oh, uh, I do have to mention again with underground. So new neighborhoods being built, new developments being built are majority underground. Uh, underground tends to be the way of the future that we're heading towards. It's the old systems that are super expensive to go underneath. Like I imagine any city you think of today, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, uh, Tampa, Nashville, St. Louis, Portland, whatever it is, most likely will not be fully underground simply because of how expensive it is. But if a new city is being made, developed, or a town turning into a city, it's a very high chance they'll turn into an underground power grid. How are squirrels just going to move around society? There are ground squirrels. Underground ground squirrels. I'm saying. You're <laughs> going to get rid of squirrel public transportation. I don't know how. Because one of my favorite things was looking at this was. I came across this article. The seven most deadly animals towards the electrical power grid in the United States. Uh, our, all our sources are linked in YouTube. But it was very interesting. In Florida, it was snakes because no one wants to fuck with snakes when they're in the grid. But Nick, yeah, uh, squirrels was definitely up there for number one. But one out was caught me off guard was jellyfish and fish. Uh, eagles crab fish and bring them to their nest, which are in power cables. 
and short wire, or in one case, a nuclear facility is pumping in water to boil the water, turn electricity, and they pumped in jellyfish, and the jellyfish were wired the system. Nice. This is a problem that will be heavily involved with all parties, both the private, the company, the government, and nature. All are involved, all have high stakes in it. Yeah, and I wanted to get back uh, just kind of before we get out of here, talk about the different regulations of the grid, whatever you want to call it. Now, most people think because we have not only a Department of Energy and a Department of Electricity, one of those would really regulate energy. Seems reasonable, but it's not, apparently. But there is a private group, the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, NERC, which is a not-for-profit, that is kind of the self-regulatory organization who decides on regulations. And it persists of 13 parties from various levels of different organizations. And it's pretty much just all people who work inside the electrical power generation industry. I'm not going to lie from an outsider just learning about this. It sounds like the Pirate King, where all the pirates just elect a Pirate King to make the rules and regulations. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's also the, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, which is kind of like the ATF, I guess, where it's not a real organization can't create right legislation but well whoa whoa whoa, whoa. Unquote, let's be overseas. honest the the atf likes to make class regulation well that's what's funny mike is the atf similar to a bunch of these other government organizations like the department of energy is just that a government organization they i was elected regulate. to lead what's funny about not the to ATF read is they do regulate so it's just weird how when you talk to these big industries, these government agencies don't have the legislative authority to regulate over them. But somehow the ATF is different and has the authority to legislate over us. Who knew? With the power industry, since there are so few power industries and such, so much barrier to entry that they're almost forced to cooperate with the companies making it so to speak yeah so here's yeah here's something you'll enjoy the energy policy act of 2005 added a section to the federal powers act which gave FERC the authority which is the federal energy regulatory commission to certify an organization as an quote electric reliability organization basically FERC got to pick whoever was going to like chair the board of standards and direct them in regulation. So they essentially allowed a, a like a third party to pick whoever was just going to lead and, and make regulations. Now, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission picked NERC, the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, as that electric reliability organization. So the 
semi-like government agency, or I mean, it's a government agency, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, picked basically like a, I, I don't know, lack of better terms, a lobbying group for the energy. Oh, because that always goes over well. To to be the police of their industry. My response to that is who watches the watchers? And while you're doing that, Nick, I did a quick Google. There's only 1,700 electricity providers in the United States. And I would bet and wager that that number is higher than it actually is. I imagine there's some joint operations going on there. So it's very weird how the industry itself decides who polices it rather than an outside third party policing it. And also how few there are for every American. Yeah, I mean, when you said who watches the watchers, I don't really know if there are watchers. I mean, generally you can't have people like just watch themselves. If, if it's something you're worried about regulation on, that's not how it works. But what do I know? Well, I guess a blind squirrel finds a nut and a blind squirrel also finds the power line. <laughs> yeah, no shit. So here is a so NERC, who is the watchdog like legislative policymaker, sets the guidelines for the energy industry, is made up of a council of thirteen industry sectors. I'm gonna lead read through those thirteen industry sectors. One, investor-owned utility. Two, state municipal utility. Three, cooperative utility. Four, federal or provincial utility. Five, transmission-dependent utility. Six, merchant electricity generator. Seven, electricity marketer. Eight, large end-use electricity customer. Nine, small end-use electricity customer. Ten, independent system operator slash regional transmission organization. Eleven, regional entity. 12 government representatives, 13 associates. 13 are the 13th are non-voting, the public gets put into here. Um, and so when you think where it says large end or small end use electricity customer, that is not like a private citizen. That's like just a large industry that uses a lot of electricity. But Nick, they'll never be inside trading or Combrobrins inside of a business and government. That would never happen. Oh, okay. Well, then I don't need to read through the lesson. The <laughs> no, 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 no. Please don't let my satire diffuse your, your uh, comment. So the fun part is when you pay your electricity, we all just think, oh, we're just paying the electrical grid. Well, of course, like any business, not all of that goes back into business. Some of that goes to greasing the wheels of Washington, right, Mike? Oh, absolutely. And I speaking of greasing wheels, don't uh I have something to say after you're done with your stuff. So the the uh, it, I don't know the best way to phrase this like electrical industry? Is that what you would call this? Electrical utility industry? But yeah, utility industry. Um so in the past 10 years, the federal lobbying for the industry has been about 1.2 billion over the past years when you look at contributions is 149.5 million now that's just the clean money that can be tracked 
like we talked about our lobbying stuff, a lot of stuff, lobbying episode, a lot of stuff slips through the cracks. But every time we pay our power bill and we think all that's just going to back into the grid and make everything better, some of that is going to back into the pockets of our politicians, which is always fun. It's like paying your taxes and actually thinking it's going to your schools and roads. Yeah. Wow, that was just fucking depressing. <laughs> so that's pretty much all I had on just the kind of political side of it and lack of... Well, let me add on to it. Yay. So it's very funny. You know how in the beginning I mentioned that California wants to start burying some 10,000 lines underneath the ground? And how underground is more expensive than overground, but at least it protects it from very common problems. Well, how do you think these companies want to bury the lines underneath the ground? That's right, by the consumer. So in order to do so, in order to pay the price, which I believe is ten, six to times six to ten times more expensive than above ground, they are simply raising the price of their electricity, which goes against what uh, the government has involvement with the utilities program. But for some reason, this low pull still works. So in order to build the underground structure, they need more money. Well, rather than subsidize it by the government, like the railroads, which is like a weird public utility system, which already exists and is an example... They're simply going to take it from their customers, which the customers have no choice to use because for, well, Nick, speaking from another small town, you have no choice but to use. And therefore... I mean, you... even in big towns, do you have the choice for your electricity use? Very rarely. It's usually like at max two. Uh, when I lived in uh, Dallas, I had two options. No choice, pretty much. And the price is getting raised, and you have no competition to do so, simply so they can pay to improve their infrastructure. Now, call me old-fashioned, but if I'm a company, and I want to separate myself from other companies and improve and be a beacon, I innovate without the cost going to my consumers. But it seems like... They don't want to do that, and especially in California. Looks like California is getting a little short. Also, to be fair, that's not really like a savings that gets passed on to the consumers unless something bad happens. Like, it'd be hard to well, that's the thing. competitive when things, economically. No, when things do badly happen, say a wildfire, power lines going down, there's sometimes an uptick in cost. You're, uh, so if you look at your electrical contract, so... Uh, if I if I imagine right now, let's see here, for, I don't know, it's usually, if I had a guess for an average, this is an av this is just an adjugated guess, it'd probably be, what, 13 cents per kilowatt? So that changes depending, one, how many people are connected to the grid, so the more people it goes down, but also the more high-risk area. So California, it's significantly increasing because they have to keep building new infrastructure it's not it's no fault of the consumer that the company's sucking and not building fire resistant cables or you know since they have a deal with the government you would think that since they have 
a deal with the Californian government that the electrical company would be somehow compensated or protected with wildfires so they get uh, a reimbursement to rebuild the electrical grid for the residents of California. No, that, that it doesn't happen. It's the residents paying for it. No matter what, they're getting the short end of the stick, which is extremely annoying. If you're going to have a union where these private company and government are in bed together and they're not exactly private and they're not exactly government, at the end of the day, why is the government not paying for this infrastructure? Why is it the average day nine to five guy paying extra money for something they had no issue with, no problem, no causation to start with, and that they have to pay more for? It's like buying a car insurance, and because the car insurance, and uh, I don't know, uh, server got set on fire, that all the people on the insurance have to pay for that server. Because you it, live in Los Angeles and you have a higher likelihood of shit happening to your car, it's going to cost more. It, I mean, that might be it, but it just seems like the. It, to be honest, Nick, it seems like the fourth wall is broken with this whole utility and government industry it with this government being so heavy-handed in it and vice versa it seems like the rules should be different but it seems like there's almost no rules i i think that's exactly it it's just what's so frustrating is we have all these legislative faux legislative bodies that regulate all over us and yet we've yet to see one example that works in favor of just normal citizens. There's a lot that work in favor of industries and all and all this stuff, but we've yet to see one that just helps out people. Across my time on this earth, I've seen public education being free. I've seen public health care being free. I've never seen public water or electricity being free. Which is very interesting to me. I mean, I, I I don't know what you do, but there's it was everything the government touches turned to shit. You, we can't. Like the, well, we, I would say we, have your own power grid, but from living in Texas, sometimes that's not the greatest thing. Yeah, but it's like, what are you supposed to do? I mean, have a fireplace and then... have a, yeah, well, I'm, I'm <laughs> and, and a stove and, and, uh, and a generator. Good. Yeah, it's a it's amazing how natural gas really, even though it's not the best for the planet, really doesn't fail that often. It's such an interesting relationship that the utilities company has, because they're like the semi-government agency that controls all this stuff, and has almost no oversight because it's like, oh well, we're just a part of the government, like we're here for you, but they're not. Yeah, but when it comes to elect officials, there's no electrician, there's no electrical. And it go, but it goes back. Is it like, and you look at because they are regulated in a way that helps and hammers that hampers them at the same time. It's like, did they use like without government intervention, would they provide these services the way we imagine they would? And is it just government fucking them up, or realistically, is it they're all sort of kind of good and bad at the same time? But you get the worst aspects of government and the worst aspects of industry i think the governments might be the good guys in this because they it's like uh might be like one of those milk issues where they just keep the price of milk so low 
and so it might be electricity because I can. I mean, if you control, well, right, say, but if that's what PG&E, why they can't upgrade anything because they can't afford to upgrade anything. Then I think it goes to the railroad system where the government has to subsidize that for upgrades and improvements. But if I'm like electrical company that compare that can can choose how much I want to charge people in Los Angeles, that's that might be too much power for a company to handle, especially if they have no competition and the consumers have no other choice. That might be too heavy handed. Yeah. Well, there need like that's the problem. There needs to exist a relationship between the two. It's more of a question of how much. Well, let me then ask everyone who's listening to us. How do you think the balance of electrical companies to the public and the balance between the government and electrical companies all should be? Should it be a equal triangle? Should it be beneficial to one or the other? How is that triangle set up? And out of curiosity, Nick, where can they tell us? You can find us on YouTube, Reddit, and Instagram. And soon to be Twitter, because uh, Elon Musk bought Twitter. So we might be on that. Uh, and with that being said, what book are you reading, Nick? I am reading Wood by Roland Enos, and I am slowly working my way through it. I feel like I've been reading it for six months now. I apologize. What about you? Oof. Oof, you're not making me feel good about myself. I am still reading Extreme Ownership by uh, Jocko Willink. Well, that's and... more depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, not going to disagree with you there. Um, life's been So hard. how's that working out for you? Um, the first three chapters are really good. Having gotten past the first three chapters simply because I'm a piece of shit. And uh, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Well, Nick, I'm not going to electrify you with my comments. I have to get one pin in, pun it. We talked about fucking trees. I need puns and science. I can't believe that's the only pun you did after talking about energy and electricity this whole time. I had so many. I feel like I, you're slacking. But I, listen, I knew you'd leave if I kept going too hard in the paint. And for that, we all thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Might be the only time you thank me, Nick. Uh, but with that being said... The power grid's fucked. We need to solve that, like, fast. And I'm not quite sure how to do it, but well, I it's am... not, And it's not just fucked politically. It's also actually fucked infrastructure-wise. Yeah. Well, thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.